listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Thank you for listening. The Infinite Smile Sangha is made possible by the generosity of friends, members, and people who have been touched by this teaching. Please visit our donations page at infinitesmile.org to help us continue our efforts in spreading the Dharma. I once heard this dialogue between a, uh, a student and a teacher where I was where I was studying. And the student said, you know, I've been meditating for a number of years and everything feels like it's kind of, you know, hit this this plateau. It's kind of, it's gotten stale. Something about my practice is seeming to just kind of lock up a little bit. I'm not really sure. How do I, how do I break out of it? And this was during a question and answer type situation. And the teacher said, well, so then you're ready to die. And the person just kind of suddenly, like, they physically kind of knocked back a little bit. And he said, said, this is what this is. It is a preparation for death. This work, stillness, meditation, in this case it was Buddhism, is really a preparation for death. It's about getting comfortable with what is uncomfortable. It's about receiving this hand that we are dealt as opposed to fighting it or trying to cheat it. And in the reception of whatever hand it is that we're dealt, can we become truly intimate, truly intimate with whatever that might be? however awful it might appear. Can we get right next to it? And in doing this, in getting right next to it, we open. Something in us is kind of knocked loose. And this holds for each and every single one of us in this room. If you find that your practice isn't quite working, or you find that you are struggling deeply with a person in your life or a situation in your life, can we receive it knowing that every single bit of this is a rehearsal for our death? What does that do to our life when we recognize that fundamental forced surrender that every single one of us will have to face. Now, oddly enough, there are people, you know, once this, this kind of, this dialogue kind of happened and the teacher kind of whacked them over the head with the uh, response, the, one of the other responses or questions that followed um, was, you know, I choose not to think about that. I choose not to, I choose to live my life and not really think about the fact that there's a limit on it. And then the response was more or less, well, don't you dare do that. Because then you can't live. You can't really live if you're 
not radically honest with what's actually happening, with what's actually going on in your life and everybody else's. And I found this to be incredibly inspiring. Knowing that I'm most likely not going to be able to pick the when. As, a, as an individual, I will not be able to pick the when. It most likely won't happen. But all of us can pick the how prior to getting there. All of us can choose wisely and compassionately to meet the inevitable. It shifts our perspective so magically and mysteriously. Instead of being bummed, for instance, at the fact that my daughter had a temper tantrum that started pretty much at uh, <laughs> pretty much at the um, at the final whistle of this Cal game this last weekend, which for those of you who know me, you know I'm I'm somewhat of a Cal Bear fan, and we got uh, our, our we got spanked up in Oregon this this weekend, and it was the funniest thing is that kind of happened. Maybe some energy I was given off in the car because we were driving and so forth, and I'm listening to it. It's like, oh my God, that was ho so horrible. And Cade started a temper tantrum that continued into the night, into the night. <laughs> so it wasn't like she'd go to sleep and then wake up and then start crying again, and she'd say, I want milk. And so I'd go get her some milk. I want hot milk. It's like, so I'd heat it up and I'd give it to her. And they'd say, I want hot milk from mommy. And so, I, honey, I hate to do this to you. But, and she's like, no, 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 I got it, I got it. And then mommy's giving her the hot milk that she wanted. And then she didn't want any milk. She wanted pizza. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, you're kind of in this space. It's like, what the hell? What, you know. And what happens is when we practice intimately with death, we start recognizing, you know what? This appears to be a pain in the ass only because I'm fixated on the fact that she's going to be around forever. The minute... I start looking at my daughter, at my dog, at my wife, at this life of mine as being fleeting. Suddenly it becomes quite hilarious that I could give it any type of energy. That the damn it energy would even approach that situation when I'm staring at this gift. It opens the whole thing up. Having said that, I'm not real big on temper tantrums. They're so damn irrational. But all kidding aside, when we meet our life from this place, when we start allowing for this major shift in perception, the recognition that it's all temporary, that we and those we love and those we don't love share this same life and death experience, it tenderizes, up, it tenderizes us. It, it opens us up to a deeply compassionate way of meeting the world. And so as an exercise, I think it might make sense over the next week or so to contemplate 
loss, deep loss. Entertain it not as an indulgence, but as a soft, tender recognition of truth that none of us is here forever, that nothing lasts, that everything, everything is temporary. So everything, everything you find, everything you see, every single circumstance that arises is an opportunity for enlightenment, is an opportunity for awakening, especially when things get difficult. And the reason why this is so is that difficulty puts us in touch with our attachments. It puts us in touch with where the clinging is. Once we begin to see where we cling, we have an opportunity to uncover certain, if you will, pivot points where we can, or pressure points where we can, ah, there, there's some clinging right there. When we bring our attention to where there is clinging in our life, where there is attachment, where there is a grip, that awareness has this miraculous capacity to kind of loosen the grip. And in doing this, when we are no longer attaching, we are uh, awakening to our true nature. Basically, the way our situation works, what, what creates difficulty for us, is that we tend to find ourselves bound by time. And by that, I mean that we, we rely on events of the past to help our minds create an identity. And we rely on some future event that has not yet happened to create uncertainty. And all the attachments around uncertainty and all the attachments around identity put us in this push-pull scenario where the, the thing that we miss is not what's in the past or what's in the future, but what's actually happening. So when we are torn out of that space of what is actually happening, we suffer. Can't help it. For those of us that find ourselves in uh, kind of dwelling in the past and so forth, what we're doing is we're allowing our ego to pull us away from the offering that is being given repeatedly by the universe. When we find ourselves, similarly, in a situation of, say, worry, dread, fear, or even salvation at some future point in time, we're being pulled out of what is quite naturally and indeed actually our true nature in the present moment. So there's this awkward stretching kind of that occurs whenever we are pulled by our past or something that has happened or 
we are kind of pushed into a future that has not yet happened. And that gap between those two things is where there's so much beauty, where there's so much freedom, where we are able to respond appropriately in any circumstance because we are living spaciously. We are living without confinement, without bound in that present moment. Now we're actually always already there. We're never not in the present moment. In other words, it's never not now. It's always now. But how often do we find ourselves grabbed and whipped around by some future worry of something that may happen or some past event has created some type of uh, psychological or spiritual scarring that we begin to wear proudly or with shame. Whenever we're in situations that are difficult, these things come up. And we can begin to readily identify them for what they are. Simply, creations of our minds. That's it. They are thoughts. This doesn't deny that they happened. This doesn't deny that something may happen. But basically, it's just the mind creating a feedback loop. Sometimes it goes very quickly and it's very loud. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody, unfortunately, is speaking with a microphone right in front of the speaker that's broadcasting the vo you know what I'm saying? And they're like, oh, you know, what's going on? Well, this is so often the case. As we approach our lives, we tend to get caught in these feedback loops quite readily. When our mind starts spinning, and when our thoughts are kind of going through this rabble and rattle, and every once in a while there's one that actually drops into the bodily experience that we have, we call that an emotion. This disturbance, actually the, the root of uh, emotion, I believe, is emuvere, which is disturbance, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong there, but it's a disturbance within the natural openness of our body. Suddenly there's this, something's not quite right. This thought that meets the body is this emotional response. Well, what meditation allows us to do is to look at each of these thoughts, at each of these feelings with our full attention. And that attentive awareness on what is actually going on allows us to mysteriously kind of break into this alchemical experience where we, we transmute lead into gold, the lead being the darkness, the negativity, the suffering, and so forth, and the gold being the openness. It doesn't mean that just by, you know, our perspective, everything will be happy and gay for us. It doesn't mean that at all. As a matter of fact, tragedy that may happen or that is impending, for instance, as we were discussing earlier, our own death or someone we love, their death or illness or financial ruin or whatever it might be, loss of reputation, loss of face, loss of mind, whatever it might be in the future that we might be looking at. All of that 
all of that stuff is still most likely going to make us feel the pangs of clinging. Every one of us clings, for instance, to the sharpness of our mind, the functionalities of our bodies, and so forth. The health of our finances that we've worked so hard to, to protect and so forth. Every one of us has, you know, maybe done all the right things. And yet, the universe has a way of pulling the rug out from under us at just the worst possible time. Or is it the best possible time? Isan Dorsey, who is uh, uh, actually a student of Suzuki Roshi's um, at the San Francisco Zen Center. He's actually a very famous, you guys may have known this, you've heard of him. He was a, a female impersonator and uh, was, uh, was widely revered by a, a huge chunk of the uh, uh, Zen Center students, especially in the uh, early to mid-70s, I guess, was kind of his, his big thing. Anyway, I was talking to one of my teachers about his, his, uh, his dying because it was, it was through cancer. It was kind of a long and pro protracted death. And she said she went and uh, visited him uh, in the hospital when he was going through uh, it's just the, the last batch of, of chemo, kind of his la last resort and so forth. And it was clear he was, he was, uh, he was going to die rather s in short order, quite soon. And she, she was telling me the story how she just went to his hospital bed in this, this vital, uh, uh, flamboyant guy was suddenly kind of just almost ghost-like in, uh, in his appearance and so forth. And she said, I, I went in and I just began to weep. And I, I, my head went down and I was holding his hand, she said, and I kind of touched his hand to my head. And she says, oh, Isan, why you? Why you? And he said, why not me? Why not any of us? Are we ready? to really surrender, to really meet this life so totally that we're ready, we're ready to go. This is a tall order. It's not easy, okay? But the minute we can start recognizing every single bit of this experience is icing on this cake, every bit of this experience is an opportunity for us to awaken Every bit of this experience called life is a red carpet right into the house of God. The minute we can do that, the minute we can kind of meet that fully, we've gone from lead to gold. We have become alchemists of our own lives. So what is ultimately the... Uh, the prescription here. Well, the test of anyone's depth of uh, uh, awakening, I guess you could say, I think that, well, it's actually probably a horrible way to say it, but I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> <laughs> the test of anyone's depth of um, opening, I like that better, is that they have found out how to be comfortable with all the discomfort. 
and we can uncover that comfort the minute we become truly intimate with the discomfort. The minute we see that, oh my goodness, rather than running from this pain, be it emotional or physical, rather than running from this, which just generates more energy around it, I'm going to stop and I'm going to become absolutely 100% totally intimate with whatever's going on right now. I'm going to meet this. I'm going to receive this openly and I'm not going to flinch. The minute we can do that, practice doing that over and over and over again, what unfolds for us is an intimacy with experience that shines the light of our awareness that burns away the clinging and we become open. Intimacy with our pain reveals it as intensity that we give energy to. Intimacy with our loss. Intimacy with our loss shows us that we have lost precisely nothing. Intimacy with our discomfort shows us that we're just fine and so is everything else. That in fact, this transitory experience called life is something we can become quite comfortable with, knowing fully that we and everything else will be taken from our grip. We start seeing that there is nothing to hold. And in doing that, we can become an appropriate response to whatever is arising. As hard as this sounds, as bizarre as this may sound, it's the gift that deep spiritual work throws at each of us. Meditation gives us the practice to actually meet all of our life fully. As we meet our life fully, we begin to start to recognize that everyone is our teacher. Every single person is an inspiration to let go of even more. Every single experience is an opening into the present moment, the now. Every single time we engage with another being, with another situation, we can do this from a place that is sourced from this moment as opposed to some preconceived notion that has been built from our past or from some worry, stress, or fear of something that may come along in our future. This is what allows us to live fully even in the face of loss whether it's your loss, a loss of yourself, your situation, or someone else's, a loss of them physically, emotionally, heartbreak, whatever it is, we can become quite comfortable in the face of loss and be able to respond from that place of comfort or aplomb or stability, we can, we can begin to respond 
in incredibly conscious and constructive ways. And in that way, we share the gold that we've been able to create in our own experience just by meeting our life fully with everyone else. And this is what a Buddha is. I realize this is kind of a heavy subject. <laughs> but it's... Uh, Let it inspire. Any questions? Yeah. When I hear you say become intimately open up fully, just take it on. Um, you haven't said how you do that. Dance with it. Do you say to yourself, I'm in pain, yep, that's pain, uh, I'm going to make it through this, uh, I mean, that's what you can do. You, you can, but the minute you start saying, I'm going to get through this and so forth, it's basically ego trying to manage the experience. So instead, what I meant by dance with it is that we become totally open to the feeling. Just, just Check in. Experience. What's experience what's going on without indulging it. You don't want to turn it into something, but you want to be right there with it. And wherever it takes you, let it do it, okay? Because it can't take you there forever. The experience of pain or grief or whatever is not permanent. Just like everything else is impermanent, so too is whatever experience you're having. Experience of grief, the experience of loss, death itself. Basically, it's the start of a new journey. We, we go through death all the time, actually. Uh, we die to our personalities. We die. All of that stuff goes away the moment we're in dreamless sleep. And that happens every 24 hours. Every 24 hours, we engage in an activity, a biological activity. Our circadian rhythm throws us into a place where we are, in essence, dead. Our heart's still beating. We're still breathing, but mind has taken a breather, okay? Whenever we exhale, that is the death of the last breath we took, right? Death is merely change, and it's an invitation to a new journey. So at your death, you are merely going on a new journey. Now, who knows what that'll look like? I certainly don't. You know, we've got all this great mythology about, oh, well, there's reincarnation, and so you will be reincarnated since your karma is really clean now that you've been meditating here at uh, the Moksha Yogashala. You, uh, you're set, you know, when in actuality we don't know. I've shared this with you, how the Dalai Lama said, he was asked point blank, you know, it's like, well, you're the reincarnation of, you know, Avalokiteshvara or, you know, whatever. You're the reincarnation of... Um, uh, you know, Kuan Yin, you know, the, the, the goddess of compassion, the god of compassion, and so forth. So can you tell us what it was, what he was like? He says, you know, and then he giggles. You know, <laughs> you know he sounds like Homer Simpson, actually. <laughs> starts giggling, and he starts saying, he says, I have no, I don't remember any of my past lives. Now, what does that do to the, you know, the fundamentalist? He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It says right here that the bardo that you went through, you know, that type of thing. 
it, mat it does not matter. That's just a, an arena for attachment if we're not careful. Am I saying it's not true? No. <laughs> I'm not. I have no idea. But it doesn't matter when it comes to the teaching. The teaching tells us that if we can consciously experience the death of every moment, then we actually don't die. If we can actually be fully present with loss, gain, and not be affected by either, when we can become comfortable with our discomfort and open to what is just by giving full attention to what's going on, we're actually golden. So giving full attention to what's happening, usually instead of, I'll get through this, it sounds something more like, wow, wow, intensity, major intensity. Not quite so intense, right? Oh, wait, there it is again, intense, intense, in not so intense, huh, not so intense. I had, uh, I can, uh, some of you may have experienced this before, uh, there, there was a, I lost a friend, and the grief would come in waves. And uh, in, in his loss, one of the things that was so amazing to me was how much it, it pushed my practice. I had no choice but to be right there with whatever was going on. And it killed. It absolutely killed. It hurt. But the presence in the middle of that hurt allowed me to see that hurt is merely intensity that I'm trying to run from. If I meet it fully, if I'm not running, if I refuse to flinch, then it's just intensity. And you know what? Intensity doesn't kill you. So dance with that. It sounds like it's being silent a lot is really good. Instead of saying, I'd say so. I can do it. Just talking and, you know, being optimistic and, yeah. you know, you're always saying. Yeah, we're always. Worse, you know. We're always chat. There's always chatter going on, and, and th that's the thing. That's actually the, the, the worst thing you can do to somebody who's in a really horrible situation is try to cheer them up. Somebody else does it too. Oh, my God. You're like, get the hell away from me, please. You know? Instead, the silence, bringing the silence and the stillness and the presence, the wow of this moment into a person who's going through grief, bringing it to them then you're actually, you are co, you are sharing at the deepest, most intimate level. You're not only intimate with your experience of pain, you're intimate with their experience of pain, and that intimacy actually creates a white hot fire that burns away the egoic clinging. It's just intimacy. It's really powerful. And that's what I mean. Like you, you want to see a teacher? Teachers are the ones that are on their last legs and are okay with it. Why not me? You know? Timbo. Yeah, it's, it sounds to me like you're, it's recognizing and fighting your tendencies, because our tendency are to avoid, to justify, to defend, but it's recognizing when they're coming on, and 
And catching yourself. And, but not fighting them. Not fighting the tendencies. Being hyper aware of the tendencies. But then don't you just slip right back into what you've always done? Not if you're aware. If you're aware, you suddenly have this gift. And that gift is a choice. Mm-hmm. If you're aware of it, then you can go, I've already been there. I'm turning this way this time. I always go right. I'm going left now. Right? Yeah. The catch or the, the, the awareness is actually uh, being able to be uncaught by whatever habitual pattern you may have. Because, yeah, because the habitual is going to catch you first. And it's always going to be subconscious. Yeah. And so what the stillness does is it always makes everything conscious. Mm-hmm. Always. Stillness can't help but make us like lock into this bizarrely now space, which then allows us to see past and future. We, we have this really elemental part of the practice, which is the recognition that our mind, or our thoughts rather, are only memories, judgments, or plans. That's it. There is nothing else going on in your mind. And so when we start seeing that, oh my God, everything is either something that has happened or something that hasn't happened yet, some fantasy or some memory. The minute we start seeing that and we start recognizing the thoughts as they arise, we start seeing, oh my goodness, there is space between those thoughts. Here comes a thought, memory. What's next? Oh my God, nothing is coming on. Oh, I just thought of God, damn. Fantasy, I don't know, you know, whatever. But there are those, these moments, and they're fleeting at first, of just this huge expanse. And in that expanse is what we might call our true self. It's the abyss. <laughs> but it is so full. Yeah. So be aware. <laughs> Be what choose wisely, my son. <laughs> I thought I saw a hand over here. Maybe not. Anyone? Yeah. Right. Well, first, first admit the oops, you know, and then um, know that that the minute that starts to happen, the minute you can see, ooh, dang, you know, in meditation, I have kind of the pressure cooker, or at least I create a spaciousness for for that allows me to study my experience fully. But now, when I'm in the real world, I'm no longer in meditation, and I get lost. I make the, you know, the divine slip. I oops all the time. Well, what happens is, in that moment, we have an opportunity to connect the two. And we start recognizing that the meditation that goes on on the cushion is merely a vehicle of support 
for what goes on in the rest of the day, then indeed every bit of our day is a meditation. We start becoming hyper aware. The more we sit, the more we, we have an authentic stillness practice, the more that awareness carries over into our real world experiences. And it's, I mean, it's time honored, it's tested, you just kind of got to do it. You know, there really isn't a shortcut to it other than the meditation itself. Sorry. I mean, I wish there was like a, how cool would that be if there's a pill? <laughs> Typical American saying that if we could just find a pill, an enlightenment pill. Yeah. So let it, let your day be your meditation. Meditate whenever you think of it. I guess that, <laughs> you know, I, I, I find myself in situations where I'm saying, well, okay, if I could, like, just stop whatever I was doing right now and, you know, try to establish my feeling of silence and everything, then maybe I could kind of get a grip on what's going on here, but I don't feel comfortable doing that either. Right. <laughs> you don't want to be in a negotiation or something. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> what were you saying? <laughs> I bet you're right. I bet you're right. <laughs> Can we take a moment? Yeah. Well, the the let me, let me just throw this at you and see where where how it lands. Um, uh, stillness is always there. Silence is always there. What is born out of silence, what is born out of stillness, is stuff. Okay? So, basically, it's about reconnecting. I'm, I'm, I'm basically saying what you're saying, but just putting it in a different, uh, using different language. All we ever need to do is reconnect with the observation of something that never changes uh, or is always there. And that will put us kind of in touch with that stillness. And the easiest way to do that is through our breath. Our breath is never not there. Or if it is not there, if we try to attach to our breath, if we, if we hold our breath, so to speak, it lasts about a minute and 40 seconds if you're in really good shape. But then you have to let it go so that you can get more in and you can let more out. And you can create that equilibrium, that balance again. All right? So when we're in situations, the idea of actually creating that space, that observation of our breath or of our interior, of our body, having a felt sense of what this experience is like, allows for that still witnessing awareness that is always silent, that is always totally still and totally available. It allows it to kind of come forth into our experience. And when we can let ourselves source our activity from that witnessing awareness, we become the agents of absolutely divine change. So give that a shot. Just give the awareness of breath as opposed to saying, wait, everybody, time out. Let's take a moment. Instead, just take the moment. 
the moment, after all, is you. Let me, let me go into it. Please. Mm-hmm. It isn't what I'm really seeking in in the, these situations. Isn't isn't just the, the stillness. It's the the stillness giving me the space around all the ego activity, right? Yes. And so the ego activity work is. I'm not expecting to. The ego activity to just go away, it's probably going to be there anyway, but I would just have some step back from it. When there is space around that egoic activity, that bound activity, what happens is when that space, it, it's quite literally like a white hot fire. And what it does is it burns away the ability for the ego to totally darken anything. Okay? It, it means that the attachment that the ego has in that moment, if we bring our awareness to it, the clinging, when we bring our awareness to it, it loosens the clinging. If we can do it constantly, what happens is the clinging kind of goes away. It doesn't mean we don't participate in the world. It means, in fact, that we participate in the world from a place of integrated non-clinging. Right? It's, that sounds really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming tonight, guys. I really appreciate it. <laughs>